Acts chapter 1 this morning. Just a moment, I'm going to begin reading a familiar portion of the Bible, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. But as you're turning there, the late summer of 1987 was really a major transition in my life. I was traveling across the country to Fort Worth, Texas to prepare for seminary training to study God's Word in preparation for ministry. Before that time, um, I had in my mind my plans for my life. I wanted to be a high school mathematics teacher and a basketball coach. That was my plan, and, and that's uh, what I studied, why I went to college. But while I was at Hamden, Sydney, God began to change my heart, and I began to lose a passion for the things that I wanted, and I began to understand God had a plan, and it required preparation. The summer of 1987, I was working uh, with a youth ministry in southeast Tennessee, and I was at a camp, and God had been working on my life, seeking to redirect my thoughts and my plans, and I don't even remember what was being preached that night, but I remembered when it was finished. Uh, and, and the speaker had concluded that God wanted me to publicly respond to a call to ministry. And so we were in an outdoor camp setting. I walked to the front, and there was a gentleman named Alan Duncan, who was a missionary kid uh, who grew up on the mission field, but at this time was serving as uh, uh, about a 30-some-year-old adult at this particular church, and I'll never forget, he said, Rick, if you can do anything else and be happy, do it, and I couldn't find, and I still can't find anything. I, I love the fact that God's called me into ministry, but that did not mean that the transition was easy. If you're around me, I shared uh, what Chris Bear shared, I'm comfortable in routine. I'm comfortable in familiar surroundings, and God was calling me to go all the way across the country to study for ministry, and not just to study at any seminary, but the largest Protestant seminary in the United States. I only knew one person when I went out there. I had no job. I had no place to live. I mean, we things were happening so fast. I went out there. We had to find uh, student housing after we arrived because, you know, you couldn't just take uh, a tour like, you know, we're going a couple hours away. And uh, it was a significant period of transition in my life. But the positive was this. I was so happy to finally be studying something that I knew I was called to do. And, and, and it was a blessing. But, you know, I think back to that summer and that transition while I did not understand it was a good thing, as I look back, I realized it was a great thing. Because through the difficulty of the transition, I was able to learn more clearly what God had called me to do. Now, the transition I experienced paled in comparison to what we're going to read about here in Acts chapter 1 in verse 1 through 8. The disciples were getting ready to go through a significant transition. I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ, who had been with them 
all the three years of public ministry was leaving them. The one who rescued them out of the stormy waters, the one who gave them counsel, the one who explained parables to them, the one who really did everything for them suddenly was going to be taken from them. And so you would imagine, were you to be in their shoes, you would think this, what are we going to do now, and how are we going to do it? Well, this morning, I want to look at Jesus' instructions, his final instructions before his ascension to the disciples, and we're going to see what they were to do, but not only what they were to do, but how they were to do it, and hopefully as we study it, we'll be able to glean some things that it can apply in your life, in my life, and specifically in the life of us collectively as a local church. Look with me at Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Luke writes here, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let us pray. Lord, as we open your word today, speak to our hearts about what it means to be a church that is involved in this commission that you gave the disciples, that, Lord, that we are able to be kingdom involved. And, Lord, over these next three weeks, as we look at your kingdom, I pray you would speak to our hearts, not just individually, but corporately as the local body here, that, Father, we would be a church that would be considered um, a church that is reaching our community, our state, our nation, and our world, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Again, the context for these words is very clear. Jesus had been among the disciples for a period of about 40 days. He appeared at various times of the day to various numbers of individuals. We don't know everything that Jesus did uh, during those days, but the Bible tells us that he did spend time with his closest followers, and his time uh, was spent to prepare them. And we're going to see that his time on earth would come to a, a, a just an abrupt ceasing, and, and that uh, he would be taken away from the disciples, and he will return as sure as I'm standing here, but there would be a wide period of time, and it has been a wide period of time, where Jesus has ascended into heaven. And so I want to look this morning at really three things uh, that Jesus instructed the disciples. I, I want to look at the, this morning. 
And, and as we look at it, hopefully we can see how these things would apply to us. And the first thing I want you to note as Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure, we see this leading up to his ascension. Jesus was speaking about the kingdom, not about them individually, not about even the nation of Israel, but he was speaking about his vast kingdom. You know, we don't have a lot of material in the Bible about Jesus' resurrection period, about the 40 days that he was among the disciples. But we have enough information. And we know really primarily that during those 40 days, there were two significant things that were accomplished. One, Jesus gave convincing physical proof of his resurrection. It was seen by a number of individuals. But a second thing that was very important was his restoration of Peter. Remember, Peter had denied him three times, and Jesus in the breakfast by the sea really uh, it reinstituted or connected Peter back into the kingdom work. But even the restoration of Peter was not just about Peter, but it was about preparing Peter to be an instrument that would take the gospel to other people. And so we know that Jesus fellowshiped with his followers during the 40 days. We, know, we read some of the narratives, but really verse 3 tells us the focus of that 40-day period. And it said in verse 3, after Jesus had suffered, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and then it says, and speaking about the kingdom of God. In other words, as we look at it here, Jesus, when he was appearing to his disciples during those 40 days, he wasn't speaking about last night's scores. He wasn't speaking about the new restaurant across town that they needed to try out. He wasn't speaking about temporal things. He was speaking about pertinent things, the eternal thing, which is his kingdom. And in and, and Jesus' kingdom is really, there's, in general, there's a twofold aspect to it. There's the reality of the kingdom now as he abides and dwells and lives in and through the lives of believers. But there also is going to be a visible manifestation of the kingdom of God when Jesus comes back. And as I said earlier, as sure as I am standing here before you today, Jesus Christ is coming back. Revelation 1, 7 says that every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Yet while Jesus was here, during the 40-day period before he ascended to be with the Father, the kingdom was his focus. And, and you know, as I was thinking about the kingdom, it brought to mind Daniel chapter 2. You may remember that. Daniel's a wonderful book in the Bible because it, it almost in, in parts reads like the book of Acts with the narratives of Daniel and his three friends. But it also reads almost like the book of Revelation with its prophetic apocalyptic material. And some of that material we find in Daniel chapter 2. And, and you may remember that. King Nebuchadnezzar, who at that time was the most powerful figure uh, on, in, on the earth, had had a dream, and it was a dream of a statue, and only Daniel could interpret that dream 
for him. And so Daniel began to describe the parts of that statue and what they meant. The head was of gold, which represented Nebuchadnezzar himself, who was the emperor over Babylon. Then this section of uh, the torso and, and the arms of silver representing uh, the kingdom that would follow the Medo-Persian. And then the stomach and the thighs, sort of the, the midsection, would be of, was of bronze and represented Alexander the Great in the Greek Empire. And after that were the lower leg and the feet, partly of iron and partly of clay, meaning it was strong and yet brittle and fracturable, if we could use that word. And, and what it, that was describing was the Roman Empire historically, but also it speaks to a future empire that is coming in our future, which would be under the rule of Antichrist. And so in Daniel 2.44, after Daniel describes that statue, he says this, in the days of those kings represented by all those parts of the body, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed and his kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. God has a kingdom that is eternal. You may not see it with your eyes, but there's evidence of it every day. And there will come a day when Jesus will come back and visibly set up that earthly kingdom. The question I have for you today is, you're a are you a part of that kingdom? Are you a part of that kingdom? One of my college roommates uh, called me yesterday. He's been a believer for about five years. Uh, his name is George. And he called me and he was just burdened because one of his coworkers, a man that started a business with him, was uh, they've called in hospice. And George was just saying, Rick, I just have this burden. I've got to tell him about Jesus. I've got to know that he's ready. And, and so he was just, just praying and praying. And, and his heart was this with his friend. I want to see you again. I want to see you again. And the, the, the response, he called me back about three hours later, and he said, Rick, he accepted Christ. He had accepted Christ a little while back, and, and he's going to share with his children what he's done because he's not been very vocal about it. But the point was this, uh, my friend may be young in the Lord, but his theology is right. If you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to this earth, he died on the cross, he rose again, he appeared for 40 days, he ascended to be with the Father, he's interceding on behalf of those who've trusted him. But if you've not trusted him, you've not come under the umbrella of the cross of Christ. You're not saved. Maybe today you think that you're saved, but you're not saved. Maybe today you really say, if I were to be honest, I've never trusted Jesus Christ. Why not trust him today? Because his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Anything else you hold on to will end. And with that in mind, with us being the local church, we're to be a kingdom-minded church. Not just building up this body, but we need to be focused on God's kingdom. And so Jesus, during those resurrection appearances and leading up to his ascension, his focus was the kingdom. But I want you to see a second thing. He instructed them to wait for the one who would be the power bringing in that kingdom. 
to wait for the forthcoming Spirit of God. Now, we knew that this wait would be about 10 days. And, that you know, Jesus, uh, for 40 days, there were the appearances. And then at Pentecost, we know the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 came down in great power. Um, 50 minus 40 is 10 days. There was about a 10-day wait. And, but why did Jesus say, wait? I want to really look at two things I think that are important. Both apply to where we are studying today. And the first, I think I can illustrate very simply. He was coming when many people were there. I, I have a good friend. Uh, his name is James. And James was my neighbor during his teenage years. He lived right up uh, Deer Run Road from me. He used to come. He and his brother would come and play basketball often at the gym. I've sort of lost touch with him. But last year, James had a food truck in Dillwyn uh, at the supermarket there. And we would go there because I wanted to support James, but also he had really good food. James could cook. His dad was a cook. And uh, Karen loved his crab cakes. Uh, but as I've driven into Dillwyn during this year, I've not noticed his food truck there. And I, I saw one of his friends literally a couple of weeks ago, and I said, I've been through the summer. I've not seen any days when James had his food truck in Dillwyn, and he said, Rick, he moved it to Richmond. Now think about it. Richmond. Dillwyn. Where are there more people? He went where the people were. It's nothing against Dillwyn. I, I love, but he moved the truck where there were more people. Why in the sovereignty of God did Jesus wait? Why did he wait for 10 days? Because Jesus knew there was going to be a great crowd and that that gospel would be proclaimed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? The people came from many different directions. And when the festival was over, they would take that message with them. And so he waited so that it would have maximum impact when he, the Holy Spirit, would be given. Now, there's another reason uh, that the Holy Spirit came or that they were to wait, is that it was God's will that they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit, that they could not go just on their own. You know, sometimes somebody will give us instruction, and we'll take off on the task, and we won't have any idea what we need to do to get it done. God was not going to leave the disciples nor us that way. He gives us his Spirit. He gave the Spirit at Pentecost to empower and to instruct. They needed the power. Years ago, um, I had this forest green Audi Fox, and I loved it. It, it was a stick shift. It, uh, my uncle uh, got rid of it, my dad's brother, and, and I was able to get it. And, man, I was so proud of that vehicle. I still wish I had that thing. Um, but one day I was uh, traveling around Hampton, Sydney, and that thing just went out on me. I mean, it just shut down. So my dad at that time um, was owner and manager of Abmax Truck and Tractor. I knew he had a flatbed truck, so I called and said, Dad, something's wrong with the car. So he sent the flatbed truck, brought it back. They looked at it. It was out of gas. <laughs> and that was not one of my prouder moments. But I will say this. The gas meter had been broken for about two years. Uh, but it didn't matter how it looked. 
it didn't matter that I wanted it to go. I didn't have any Fred Flintstone holes where I could move my feet. That car wasn't going anywhere without the power. We can do nothing apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just like the gas in a gas-powered car. Now, I used to say gas in a car. Now they want to electrically power them or generate them. But you know where I'm going with this. We need the Holy Spirit. We're going to look very quickly today, but importantly, at the res responsibility of the local church. But let's understand it's not just that we receive these instructions and we say we're going to do it. I've been guilty of that. But it's that we go in the power of the Holy Spirit under the unction of the Holy Spirit. When my friend called me yesterday, I could tell he was under the unction of the Holy Spirit to share. He was willing. He was obedient. That's what we as a church need to be. So as we look at the instructions Jesus gives us as a local church, let's remember that anything that we're to do is to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that leads to Jesus' instruction to these disciples about where they were to go. Jesus was in dialogue here as he was talking with the disciples, and there was a question that the disciples had. You know, um, back about three weeks ago, I was preaching revival services, and I preached one night on Jonah, and God had given Jonah clear instructions. He told him to go one direction. Jonah went the other direction. And the problem with Jonah, even though God used him, is he never experienced the blessing of being used by God. You know why? Because Jonah wanted to do God's things Jonah's way. And that's a problem. And we see really that problem here in the mindset of the disciples. But Jesus is redirecting them. Look at the question they had in verse 6. Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? Now, Jesus basically said, stay in your lane. That's not for you to know. It is for me to know how and what is going to happen. You know, many times we want the end result, and God is saying, I just want you to take the first step. He didn't tell Abraham everything about where he would be. He wanted Abraham to take the next step. And so as we look at it here, we see that Jesus is saying, it's not for you to be thinking about how this kingdom is going to come together. But, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is our charge. As you notice, we didn't have a bulletin insert today. We had two other inserts that were very important. One is the Pregnancy Support Center. The other, I hope you'll note, we put it in yellow, is, are things that you can bring by next week for us to take to flood victims in, in our general area. But I did not really need to put an outline this week because verse 8 is God's outline. We're to serve. We're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And there's not a qualifier there as we look at it as a church. It's not that it's just the big churches that can do it. When Karen's dad passed a, a few months ago, um, we were there for a week as, as we prepared for, for him passing and then as we uh, uh, prepared for the funeral. 
And as I was there, a couple of days, I went to that church, and that church is amazing. It's large, probably two or 3,000 people attending, every type of gadget you can see. The offices are nice. I mean, they have Sunday schools that are as large as Sunday morning attendances, Sunday school classes, I mean, that are as large. And you know how the devil, the devil, I was in there and I was thinking, man, look at all this. We're just a small church. That's a wrong thought. That's a wrong thought. We are not to do the things that big churches are to do. We're to do what God's called us to do here. And we do not need to be mistaken. That does not mean that God cannot do big things through us because he can one of my favorite commercials on Richmond is that guy. I think he's moved car dealerships now. The guy that's dressed all nicely, and he, he walks through the showroom, and he says, don't tell me what you can't do. Tell me what you can do. Now, I don't know. If I bought a car, if I lived in Richmond, I want to buy some. I mean, that's a great. Don't tell me what you can't do. Tell me what you can do. As we look at the church, God is tired of hearing excuses from churches that say we can't do this. I thought of the two mites of the widow. That was favorable to God. I thought about the lad that brought a few loaves and fishes. Jesus took that and multiplied it and fed the young boy himself. Listen, we can't do everything. But we need to be strategic about the things we do. And according to Jesus' commission to the disciples here, these four areas need to be our focus. And we need to find our niche. We need to find what God is calling us to do for his glory in this community. A few years, about a couple years ago, I came across a particular tea. It's a cold brew tea. It's by Twinings. I can't find it anywhere. I go to Food Line, Walmart. There's no cold brew Twinings tea. You know what? If a little mom and pop shop had it, I would go there. As big as Walmart is, as big as Food Line is, I'm looking for something else. And, and so as we, the church here, we're to be conscious of that. Can we do everything in the world? No, we can't. But what we do should be God-driven and God-empowered, and God will send the people. I want to look very quickly at these four areas. These are not recommendations. He says not, you may think about it, but he says, you will be. The first is Jerusalem. What is our Jerusalem? We've talked about it before about a three to five mile radius around this church. There are a lot of homes in that area. That's our Jerusalem. Guess what? It's not even on the radar of First Baptist Cleveland. That big church, it's not even on the radar. I, I grew up at a church that's middle-sized in Appomattox Liberty Baptist Church. They do a lot of stuff. Three to five mile radius around Concord isn't on their radar, but it should be on our radar. In fact, God's going to hold us accountable as a church for what we do in our immediate Jerusalem. I was thinking about two questions over the past two or three weeks that are pertinent. 
If our church closed its doors, number one, who other than our regular members would miss it? You ever stopped and if our church were to close its doors next week, who other than regular attenders would miss it? According to the scripture here, our Jerusalem should miss it, our immediate area. The second question is this, and it's very similar. Why should God keep Concord Baptist Church around? What would be his reason? That we have fun, that we enjoy seeing friends here? I think what it would be are the, the criteria of these four areas. No church is better positioned to serve Southern Buckingham County than our church. What are we to do? Fix food, take it to neighbors, take it to church members, but how about our friends that don't know Christ? Visit homes, knock on doors of the neighbors, let them know you're a believer. Visit people and invite them out. One thing I, I love about Russell, and I've shared that with Russell, he, he'll, he'll minister to somebody and then he said, come to church with me. Come to church with me. All right. We have a consciousness of our Jerusalem. Plan events for our community. Things that we can strategically minister to people. So our Jerusalem. I don't know what they are. There need to be things that we do collectively and then as we are around our neighbors, we need to be conscious of that. We're responsible for our Jerusalem. Secondly, our Judea. I believe that is the greater Buckingham, Farmville area, as well as our state. What can we do to be a witness? Well, we can minister in nursing homes. There are people who don't know Christ who are in nursing homes. Hopefully we can I see Bob out there for over 20 years here. He's been serving. COVID has really affected it, but we're looking for ways to be able to get back and minister into nursing homes. If you have gifts with music or whatever is that door, but even if we can't get in there, we need to make phone calls or, or make connections through cards or send things. You know, support our local ministries, our Fellowship of Christian Athletes, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Southside Pregnancy Support Center, among others that are reaching various areas of our community. I think of even our immigration facility here in town. Charlie Falbo, we're going to be celebrating his life when he was uh, next Sunday afternoon. When he was 89 years old, he, in his shop, built a portable baptistry. I don't know how an 89-year-old man could do that mostly by himself, but we took that in so that they could be baptized. People, we need to be concerned about our community, honoring our service groups. Our social committee does a great job of seeking to honor veterans and groups like that. There's so many things that we can do. How about this? I believe God's going to do a great work in our Christmas program. Last year was an amazing event. I guess it was 150 to 200 people. I can't remember. It was a whole lot of people. And don't get me wrong, I would love to have my children come and join me to see it, but they're saved. How about inviting somebody that doesn't know Christ, that has a perception of Christianity that they really don't care, they really don't try to do things nice. How about inviting them to a nice dinner 
I want you to come and join me. I want you to hear this. Many times that would be less threatening than to have somebody come during the 11 o'clock hour. We need to be creative in thinking. What happens when you're on a job and something's not working right? You just don't give up. You try to be more creative. We ought to be creative in ways to reach our area. We can't do it all, but we can do some things. The third area, Samaria. Samaria is reaching beyond our culture. And we have a Southern Buckingham culture, all right? And it's even different from Appomattox culture in some ways. But we're called to reach beyond our culture. We're called to reach across racial lines. We're called to reach across socioeconomic lines. We're called to reach people who may be different from us. One thing I think that is a great ministry is ministry to those who are incarcerated, ministering to them. Can you get into prison? Well, you have to go through a process and screening to do it, but you can minister to individuals in prison you know, through card writing, through encouragement, through trying to financially support and help them to get necessities. There's so many areas that we can reach of people that we may not contact, but God has a heart for. But then the uttermost parts of the world. You see, Samaria was before the uttermost parts of the world because you know what? Jesus, as he was talking with the disciples, needed to address the closed-mindedness of the gospel is just for people like we are. And so Samaria was strategic, and that's why when you look in Acts chapter 8 and the gospel was advancing to the Samaritans, and we talked about that, the great miracles that were happening was God was showing the, the Jews, yes, the gospel is for all people, and he was showing the Samaritans, yes, you're part of the kingdom. And so as God was, was breaking down those barriers of, of, uh, of prejudice and the way people were thinking, then he says to the uttermost parts of the world, I've been blessed in so many ways. Karen and I are so excited about going to Italy. I'm telling you, I've been looking online. I've been looking at stuff. We're so excited. But I've been blessed to be outside of the country multiple times, many times representing this church with the gospel, twice in South America, I've been in Central America and Mexico, twice off the southeast coast of Africa, and most recently in Southeast uh, Asia. And I tell you, I wouldn't trade those experiences for the world because it opened my eyes to who God is. When, when you're staying in, 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 a, in a humble abode of two servants of the Lord that are serving the Lord with all their heart, in, in, in opening their home and ministering to people, it's a blessing. We need to have a heart for the nations. One of the things that gets me upset is when people say, we have so many needs here, why are we going to the world? That's somebody that doesn't understand Acts 1-8. They don't understand. We try to treat it as either or. I don't see, he says, Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or it's all of them collectively, collectively. God is a big God, as Tony said, and he loves 
everyone, everyone. He's not willing that any should perish. I, I feel blessed. I wanted Sean to be here. Her mother is sick. We need to be in prayer for her mother. But Sean was going to share a testimony uh, from Central America of ministry that she's done. At the same time she was there, we talked last week in Southeast India. We had 160 missionaries being trained that we were able to be a part of. And many of you may not realize this, but we support a tiny Baptist college in Vermont. Some of you have been up there. Donald's been up there. It's a great work, all right? They are training people to share the gospel in that part of our country, in the Northeast, often that's not evangelized. He said, because what was happening, the reason this gentleman started Northeastern Baptist College in Bennington, Vermont in 2013, he said kids would go to Liberty University or they would go to other places. They would go to Wheaton, Pensacola. They would go away from here and then we wouldn't have them back. We want to provide training. And so they're reaching out. We send just 260 a month. It's not a lot, but month in and month out. We've sent construction teams up there this year. We couldn't send a team. We sent a monetary donation. Small as we may be, we're not given a pass. We need to reach the nations. The nations. There are people sleeping right now who need Christ. You know, sometimes I think, I'll be honest, Lord, Will Concord Baptist Church still be around in 20 years? I think that. Will it? Doesn't take long to be shocked. Will it still be around? But as I thought about that, that's like the disciples asking, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at that time? And I feel God's response to me is, Rick, stay in your lane. Just do what I tell you to do. It's not my job to decide, but I do believe that if we're relevant in the community for God's glory in our state and in the nation, God will take care of that. He will equip us. He will keep us going. We need to be a kingdom-minded church. I, I close with this. Uh, there was a book that was written, probably my favorite book on evangelism, written by a man named Oscar Thompson who passed away probably over 40 years ago. It's a book called Concentric Circles of Concern. And in this uh, particular book, he laid out a strategy of how to reach people. He said the, the innermost circle would be immediate family, then beyond that, friends, goes on out to acquaintances, and finally, person X. And as I was thinking about that this week, that was just a concrete way for him to focus on his Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Not or. It's not just a couple of circles. It's not just one circle, but all of them. So the challenge for us as individuals is this. Are we reaching our Jerusalem? Am I open, God, to a call to go beyond just this area to be a part of a short-term mission team or a career missionary. For us as a church, it's this. What are we actually doing to engage the community? Will this community know us? Do they know us? Do they just know us as a building? 
Or do they know us as a minister? We need to pray that God would open our eyes to opportunities to practically minister in our community while at the same time supporting the work. Supporting the work. Hey, the buildings are great. We need it. But let's never sacrifice the heart for missions, the commitment to missions, the money to missions, because it is our command that we reach our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Let's pray. Father, the words Jesus gave his disciples is not a buffet line. Lord, it is a total thing. It's not that we pick and choose. Father, I pray that we as a church would embrace the responsibility, the God-given task of being a light in southern Buckingham County. Pray that we would continue to seek to support ministries that are advancing the gospel and ministering to people in our general area and state. That, Lord, um, we would have a heart for this nation to reach people. And that, Lord, that heart would extend to the uttermost parts of the earth. God, you're working. God, your kingdom is increasing. And God, you're coming back one day. Lord, we pray for our neighbors. And we pray for those that live far away from us. That, Lord, by your mercy and grace, that we would be instruments to reach them. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our